0: I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled and Acadia Company. Thank you for joining me this week. And this week I have a friend and colleague at Bobsled, Armin Bake, who is a team lead at Bobsled. He's been at the company for almost six years. And internally, we have a little bit of a nickname for Armin, which is armin.com because of his encyclopedic knowledge of Amazon. If there is a particularly compliance or vendor, really arcane kind of vendor central questions, Armin 99% of the time has the answer. It's really incredible. So welcome back to the show, Armin.
1: Hi, Kerry. Thanks. Yeah, super happy to be back. And yeah, armin.com always cracks me up, to be honest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so today, this is a topic that has... Been around for a long time, but it does continue to evolve. And we still do get questions from clients about it. And there's still a lot of confusion about what this program is and isn't, which is Amazon Brand Registry. So, we're going to talk about what the program does, what it doesn't do, some misconceptions about it, and some benefits how to make the most of it if you have access to Brand Registry. So let's jump in, Armin, and maybe you can just give a really high-level explanation of what brand registry is.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, Amazon historically had a lot of issues with counterfeit products years ago. It still has, but it's kind of much better now. But the program was initially created and intended for brands as a tool for fighting counterfeiting, and then over the course of the years, it evolved a lot and Amazon has added a lot of features that some of them even give brands a competitive edge in terms of you know what they can use. Basically now it's like counterfeiting but then also content ownership of the product detail pages but then all of these tools like optimizing ARA a plus storefront, Amazon Vine, improved in reporting with brand analytics, beta programs so it's a lot. it's kind of like 20 30 features that I could name that Amazon has introduced over the course of the years.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's where the confusion lies is that, like you said, that it was initially an anti-counterfeiting program and sort of even the name brand registry, like you're Mm -hmm. registering your brand. But then there's also all of these marketing benefits. So it is easy to see why the water gets a little muddy. And let's actually just jump right into that because there is some misconceptions about, what brand registry can do on the counterfeiting and brand protection side of things. So what do brands sort of misunderstand about brand registry on the compliance side mm-hmm. of the house?
1: So I would categorize these misconceptions in two major buckets. So one is around content ownership on Amazon and the other one is reseller control. So when brand owners register their brands on Amazon, Oftentimes, they will think that whichever listing is listed under their brand, they will have full control of what shows on the product page. And in theory, Amazon does promise better control of the product pages that brands own. But the reality is a bit different. There's a content contribution system, for example, in Amazon that basically has any seller of a listing be partially be contributor to a listing's content. So yes, the brand owner will have majority of the ownership and the contribution, but other sellers and third parties can contribute to that. Another issue that I often see with even like brands that work with us, especially bigger brands and established companies that potentially have, you know, like traditional retail established and a lot of distributors and resellers of Amazon, then these sellers come to Amazon and sell their product and then after a few years, for example, a brand will decide to join the e wave as well. And what happens is once they start creating the listings that they want to list on Amazon.com, they see that all of these have been already created. And oftentimes with incorrect content, with like very little content, with poor imagery, like, you know, different things that are actually wrong on the product pages. And then it can actually be a real struggle to get ownership back to the brand because like they're the new seller of that product right and some resellers may have been selling it for years and like kind of like that time that they have been selling it like amazon considers them the main contributors so it's kind of like a right. huge change in the system when these asins need to be switched in terms of ownership of the content on the product pages. It's fixable, it can be done, but a lot of times it's a lot of casework with the brand registry support from Amazon. Another issue when, yeah. when it comes to content ownership is like when brands have hybrid accounts. So let's say they launched on, as a vendor on Amazon, one peep, and then after a few years, they want to switch to seller central and you know they create the account, they transfer brand ownership as well to that account. But just like the reality is again that the content ownership sometimes sticks to the vendor account because that's how amazon system is built the vendors always had a stronger contribution to the product page content than than the seller side so this again like is fixable but it can be a lot of back and forth with the support to get resolved
0: right yep that makes total sense so two issues one's content control And I guess that relates to the hybrid selling accounts as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then the other one is like brands will come to Amazon and say, yes, we are brand registered now and we can remove any other sellers that are selling on our listing. So, you know, like removing competition in one way, but that's not true at all. So Amazon like allows any seller to sell a product as long as it's genuine, you can list it. You know, there are some restrictions in terms of like categories and what you can list but like the platform itself like is free for all and you can list almost any product and sell it as long as it as it's not fake and when brands come to amazon and they register they sometimes think that they can just send a report to amazon saying this seller is unauthorized by us remove them from the listing which of course will not happen and amazon will always say that this needs to be dealt with off their site so if A brand wants to control who's selling their product on amazon they need to deal with their distribution chain have like map pricing distribution agreements and and all those things there is actually like a program that's called brand gating it's kind of like the hidden secret of amazon like not many brands have it but it's an exclusive program that does allow some brands very special brands to get gating which basically means not Everybody can list their products, almost any nobody actually can list those products unless they go through a application process and the brand actually allows them to sell yep. that product.
0: So brands like Apple, brand gated. And then there's also a program I'm aware of specifically for prestige beauty brands called Luxury Beauty, mm-hmm. where you pay some extra margin to be in that program. But one of the benefits is brand gating. And mm-hmm. particularly for prestige beauty brands, that is a huge issue—is counterfeiting and returned products and things like that. So that can be worth the extra margin that you pay to be part of that program. Mm-hmm. So who can enroll in brand registry?
1: Yeah. So to be eligible for brand registry, like brands, companies just need to have an active trademark registered, and then also. In case you're using the IP Accelerator program, it can also be a pending trademark. That's enough for the registry to start. So yeah, it's basically open to any trademark
0: owners. Right. So you, you prove that you own the trademark. and exactly. That program you mentioned, IP Accelerator, that's like you can basically apply for a trademark through Amazon's own, yeah, through their own program.
1: Mm-hmm. That a list of like law firms that they work with and then if you use them to actually submit your trademark for example at USPTO then you get like much faster access to to the brand registry program versus like waiting on average like 6 months for USPTO to approve your trademark
0: right yeah it takes mm. a really yeah. long time now because something that has been spoken about a lot is a lot of chinese manufacturers obviously going direct to consumer on Amazon, so they've recognized hey we're sort of there's a middleman here, which might be a brand that if I sell teacups and I might sell to some American company that brands it and sells it on Amazon, and i'm the manufacturer. I realize, hey, why don't I just sell those teacups mm-hmm. on Amazon directly
1: yeah, there's also like a gap here where, as you said, like you know some manufacturers who own the brands like not knowingly give their brand ownership to other like third parties. And then it creates this whole mess around like who owns the brand once they launch on Amazon. So like the rule is really like don't give your trademark and your ownership to anybody unless, you know, your company. Because I've seen issues with that as well.
0: Right. Yeah, there's two things here. One is what you're talking about, which is the registered distributor or you know, when you give someone the distribution rights to sell your product, your brand on Amazon and Amazon accepts that if it's kind of written up in the right way. But then to the point about trademark registration, those Chinese manufacturers are registering all kinds of crazy trademarks that don't make any sense. It's just mm-hmm. someone drag their finger across the keyboard <laughs> yeah,
1: and exactly.
0: put that trademark registration in and you see all these kooky brand names on Amazon that don't mean anything and you know, there's no real brand there. It's just sort of opportunistic a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's what's gumming up the trademark registry system. That's the argument anyway, is that there's all these brands being registered that are kind of fly by night, Mm -hmm. temporary brands. Mm -hmm. So the USPTO is just completely overwhelmed because getting a trademark is the mechanism to access a lot of these marketing Mm -hmm. programs that you were talking about. So you know, beyond the counterfeit protection, there's all these marketing programs, which he touched on. So obviously everyone wants to access those and they're registering kind of wacky trademarks that they don't really <laughs> yeah. intend to keep.
1: And USB actually makes it much easier because you can like submit yourself, like, you know, you don't even have to hire a law firm to do it for you. There's like a form you fill out as a company owner or whatever. And, you know, you go through the system and in six months you can get your brand registered.
0: That is good. I recall a much more challenging process when I've tried to (laughs) register (laughs) trademarks. So good to know that's been fixed after I needed it. So what about the? Let's talk about some of the marketing benefits, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Like some of the benefits of brand registry that you see brands don't often take advantage of.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these like brands will use just because like, you know, they're there and it's kind of like, you know, common knowledge that you should use them. But something that I see underutilized or completely unused are things like brand analytics, for example. That's like a powerful reporting tool available to brands only. And I'm assuming like complexity of analyzing that data and then the time needed to invest for that is like what keeps the brands from either, you know, using a third party company or an agency who does that for them or like, you know, they just scarcely use it themselves.
0: I completely agree with you. So what's some of your favorite kind of metrics that you can pull from brand analytics?
1: Mm -hmm. So what I love personally is like the item comparison and alternate purchase behavior, where you can see like customers who viewed or searched for your product, what they actually ended buying against the search term and also seeing like how cross-selling is functioning. So if customers bought one of your products, they also viewed or bought another one so it's kind of like a great opportunity to like innovate with your catalog like maybe launch a bundle or something like that and also like seeing what are the competitors actually that get to sale after you know you've shown to the customer and they ended up deciding with another product so is it the price driven is it like quality is it more features of that product so a lot to, to actually dig into there
0: yes i completely agree with you that market basket analysis Yeah, really powerful stuff. And this is, I mean, you're the vendor central king. And before Amazon launched brand analytics, these kind of metrics were things that vendors would have to pay tens of thousands of dollars for access to prior to that. So this is really high-end analytics that all sellers with access to brand registry can play around with for free
1: exactly yeah it was like it was called ara premium and it wasn't even like you know purchasable by any brand like you know you'd had to like have a good status as a vendor with amazon and then pay for it to get it so yeah other tools that i see like brands don't use so one of them is manager reviews this is pretty recent i want to say like six months to maybe a year that this has been available it's basically a tool that shows all the reviews that you receive from customers and then within like Amazon's platform and within their terms of service, you can actually contact those buyers by sending them a resolution. For example, if they left a negative review complaining about a product, you can turn that into an advantage and message the customer to say you know, whether they want a refund or just to get more information around the issue towards the resolution. It's a great way to minimize number of negative reviews and very few brands actually do this. Before this, we used to like post responses publicly on to the reviews, but that's been cut. And this is how Amazon replaced that feature, actually.
0: And so a couple of questions on that. Does that response from the brand show up publicly on the product detail page?
1: No. So this is directly addressing the issue with the customer. So Amazon will actually tie the, the review messages. to the... Yeah, it will tie the review to the customer. And then once you Uh send them a message, they will receive an email. Same way as you would like message them about shipping or something like that, they would receive a message from from a seller, yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, it was good when we could respond to reviews publicly because then it kind of shows future customers Mm -hmm. that the brand is responsive and it fixes issues. And sometimes, you know, the customer is not always right. Sometimes they are not using the product correctly or, you know, sometimes it can be sort of active misinformation that's being spread. So it is unfortunate that those responses can't be public, but I guess, you know, it's an extra control in Amazon system.
1: Mm -hmm. I love responding to reviews as well.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I love being able to point out nicely, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And you might be using this incorrectly. Yeah. yeah. So what's the sort of, do you have a sense of the success, rate right, of that messaging system?
1: So it's pretty new and it's hard to measure. But, yeah, I mean, that's what we can do and what we can try to mitigate issues. So I would always say, like, you know, just use it. It's, like, kind of like a good practice in terms of, like, you know, just customer service that you need to provide to, to customers. If they left a review, they want to be heard, kind of. And, you know, responding back is the best way to go, I would say.
0: Okay, good. Those are two really great benefits that are not often used. So that's great. You got two more, two bonus ones?
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, Amazon Posts is another one that brands often don't use. It's like, you know, Amazon's attempt to go social And when brands actually have, like, social presence, it's super easy to, like, just reuse that content and put it on your Amazon page as well. So that's one. Manage your customer engagement. That's This is a beta program that allows brands to reach out to their customers who have followed their storefronts. And this way you can, like, let them know there's a promotion going or a new launch happening. It's like an email campaign, basically, within Amazon.
0: Yes. For last week's podcast episode, I was talking about both of those Mm -hmm. items as potential growth opportunities. So if you want to hear more about those programs, go back to last week's episode where I talk about posts and manage your customer engagement. But great point. Those are only available through brand registry. So Armin, in, in sort of wrapping up, what are you excited about?
1: Yeah. So when it comes to brand registry, like opportunities are endless, I would say, and Amazon will be releasing new beta programs all the time. So I'm just excited to see what new they actually bring to us and how they actually change the existing programs as well, because all of these tools that they currently have can and will evolve over time. Imagine like, you know, a manager customer engagement tool when you have 100,000 followers on your Amazon storefront. like, you know, that can be a huge tool to use as a brand and a huge reach, for example. So I'm just excited to see, you know, how this this will evolve over the next few years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what have you changed your mind about?
1: Mm. Yeah, this is a good one. So Amazon has always been conservative about the data they share with brands. And I always thought that the data we got in brand analytics was the maximum Amazon would go with. But like the latest new beta tools actually call Search Catalog and Search Query Performance that they introduce to brands, I'm willing to keep a more open mind about Amazon sharing even more data with brands because they're kind of like headed this direction where not everything is served at a plate, but there's so many things you can look at. And, you know, if we're looking at these two new initiatives, it seems that Amazon is willing to share more.
0: Yeah, so explain those two reports real quick, search catalog and search Yeah.
1: Correct. It's kind of like Amazon's attempt to present share of voice data. So it will show how many impressions you've had, what clicks happened there, you know, what your conversions rates are, like it's ASIN based as well. Wow. So yeah, it's kind of like, you know, just sharing a lot of data points where brands can educate themselves and, you know, just make better informed decisions of how they market themselves, how they advertise and where they stand in compared to competition as well.
0: That is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. A really next level kind of data that Amazon's providing. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Yeah, I think that just on that, just to speak to that for a second, it is interesting, especially with people like you and me who've seen Amazon kind of holding out data for a long time, whether that was just a limitation of the system or a more philosophical thing, and then start to push out more data. And with these kind of reports that come out, I think, wow, this is like really opening up the kimono. Are you sure you want to tell us that information, <laughs> yeah. Amazon? Like it's real, it's getting like really kind of in depth. And, but then I think about who is Amazon competing against for these merchants and it really is d2c so if i might be you know have a more traditional model of selling to stores but when i'm looking at online selling options as a brand looking at amazon okay it's good but it's amazon's customer i don't get that interaction with the customer they're always going to be amazon's customer and it's a walled garden but with d2c there's you know, still this is oversimplifying all of the challenges that come with each channel, but with D2C, I get to own that customer. I get their email address. I don't have to deal with this sort of walled garden of Amazon. So if you think from Amazon's perspective that we're competing with D2C, what tools can we roll out like manage your customer experiment, which on the face of it Is pretty awesome you get to email customers and announce new products to them and announce deals but you never get their email address and you never get to (laughs) know like who they really are so they're giving you all of these tools and analytics up to the very point just before you get actually get to know exactly on a individual level who your customers are so i think to your point that could actually be more information amazon will share with us in the future but it will never be like customer level data
1: Yeah, also like the reverse look at it. Like, also Amazon has programs that actually try to incentivize brands to share their knowledge and their data with Amazon so they can learn more. So, for example, attribution tool is, you know, what this serves. This is the purpose of it. And also the latest one, brand referral bonus program that actually incentivizes the brands to get like up to 10%, I believe, from each sale if that sale is coming off Amazon. And if it's being tracked by the attribution tool. So it's kind of like, you know, tell us where your purchase is coming from and we'll give you some money back. But, you know, what we'll have is a lot of knowledge of where this purchase came from and how it happened.
0: Absolutely. That is such a great point. Yeah. I actually got a survey from Amazon, which was about as a brand, where else do you advertise and why do you like advertising (laughs) there?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And
0: it was kind of like, so what other platforms do you use to advertise your brand? And why do you prefer that over Amazon? And sort of really trying to get inside the head of a brand or a seller to understand why you wouldn't send any and all of your paid traffic to Amazon. That's not particularly new. It really goes with that Amazon attribution program that you mentioned but yeah it does show they really want to be the platform for mm-hmm. everything for a brand yep.
1: as much as yeah. we want like to have all the data they have like they want to have the data everybody else has as well
0: yeah but you're totally right that the attribution program i would never say to avoid it just because you're going to be giving amazon some information because you know chances are they'd
1: yeah, they'll get it
0: anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And it does offer genuine benefits from an advertising yep. analytics standpoint and the fee reimbursement. But yeah, you're totally right. That's what it, they're in it for. They're in it to see search and conversion patterns on other platforms so that they can build a better program for themselves. Exactly. Awesome. Well, this is a great discussion as always. Um, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank
1: you for having me, Kiri.
0: And for everyone listening, thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and consider writing a review for the e-commerce Brain Trust on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, wherever you're listening to this show and hope to catch you again next week.